This episode of Voices in Local Government is brought to you by Haggerty Consulting. Are you ready for the severe weather risks your community may face? Extreme weather events are on the rise nationwide, so having a plan to respond before disaster strikes is critical, and Haggerty Consulting can help. Visit haggertyco.info response to learn more. Welcome to Voices in Local Government, an ICMA podcast to share success, setbacks, ideas, and lessons for local government leaders and their staff. My name is Joe Superville, here to talk about how procurement impacts local government progress and innovation is Marielle Reed, co-founder and CEO of Pavilion, a venture-backed marketplace for state and local public procurement. Thanks for joining today. Yeah, it's great to be here. So right off the top, Mary, how, how much do state and local governments spend on procurement each year? Yeah, um, it's a massive amount of money, about $2 trillion um, across state and local agencies every single year. $2 trillion. Uh, I am not good at math, and I do not have enough fingers to figure out how many zeros there are in a trillion, but I think it's a lot. I think it's more than 10, so I'll guess 12 or 15 maybe, but <laughs> a lot. So prior to Pavilion, you served on the innovation team at the San Francisco Mayor's Office, where you worked on two great challenges and opportunities for local governments, which is procurement and talent. So San Francisco, people have some maybe preconceived notions. She's already smiling for those uh, just listening and not seeing, but, um, you know, tech money, big local government budget, politics, which we're not going to get into today. We'll mm-hmm. leave that part out. Yeah. <laughs> so fair or unfair, it can kind of be difficult to translate that scope and level of resources to small or mid-sized communities. However, procurement maybe is a little little different. So how has your experience and success as it pertains to this progress and innovation you're talking about in procurement uh, relatable to the listeners out there who are not from San Francisco or other big cities? San Francisco does get a lot of shade. Uh, a lot of it is deserved. And actually, that was you know the, the contrast between the quality and caliber of public services and um, you know my experience building private sector services in tech. And seeing kind of what was available for public servants um, and being a public servant using pretty outdated technology against just being totally surrounded by all of this tech, all of this, quote unquote, like innovation happening in the private sector. Um, that contrast was really jarring and frustrating. But yeah, whether you're, whether you're in San Francisco um, or you're in a rural community, whether you're sort of in a red state or a blue state, it doesn't matter. Procurement is all about matching a public need with a company that can deliver a product or service to actually solve that problem. This is one of the reasons I'm so fascinated by it is it really is this kind of like, it doesn't sound very sexy. It's, it's, it's most people think of it as like this back office. A hassle that you have to do. Oh yeah. Like a bunch of red tape that you're trying to navigate through or that you avoid, you know, as long as possible uh, and work around as much as possible before you have to bump into it. But at its core, and when it's thought of as a strategic function, it really can be absolutely essential for delivering like better, faster public services and engaging a wider set of businesses and community members in public problem solving. So I had the experience working in city and county of San Francisco of just getting to touch a few of these public procurement decisions and seeing, wow, you know, when we get the right, when we make the right match and we do that quickly, what a huge impact that can have on public service delivery and, and ultimately like people's trust in government, like does government work or not? And that's not a, that's not a, you know, that's, it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on politically or if you're in a big town or a small one. People rely on public services as public services should work. Uh, and that's a problem that, that exists across the, the whole country. Yeah. So what and I think the audience listening will have their own answers and we'll, we'll see if it lines up. But what are the biggest challenges that public servants 
face navigating procurement. Obviously, I mean, you kind of touched on already the red tape, the hassle, the this isn't really my expertise, but what in your experience, both on the inside in local government and then as an outside uh, expert on it, have, have you seen? The way you buy stuff in the public sector as a public servant is really different than how you buy stuff as a private consumer. And that's because procurement is really regulated. You, Joe, or I, we can go online, we can find whatever we need and, and buy it in a few clicks um, as private consumers. But public servants have to purchase from contracts that have been created through a formal competitive solicitation process. And just running that process takes anywhere from four to 24 months. So it's it's no wonder that most public servants, like have if they know anything about procurement, they sort of um, try to avoid it for a while. They think of it as like, oh man, that's really slow. Um, it's something that gets in the way. Like these people you know, doing the work of procurement are all about compliance. They're just gonna say no and kind of be like gatekeepers to me actually getting the tools that I need. You know what, that's, that's not the case, but there is this kind of hurdle to overcome of perception of, oh man, these rules and regulations are really intimidating. They're it's so complicated. How do I do as a public servant as much as possible to just avoid having to go through this process until it's absolutely necessary? So that's a huge challenge. It's just like procurement professionals within the public sector are oftentimes seen as kind of these gatekeepers or roadblocks rather than like critical allies um, and strategic partners around like, you know, the same way a good lawyer or a good accountant ask you, hey, what do you want to achieve and can help you navigate that complexity? Like great procurement professionals should be partners and really like strategic allies in helping you get like what you need fast and like achieve the outcomes that you're looking for. But all too often, like there is this big perception gap of, ooh, I don't want to have to go to procurement. <laughs> and that's a huge challenge. I mean, there there's a lot that the timeline is huge. I think access to like work and everything that's already been done in the ecosystem, just this information sharing problem is also really, really huge. I mean, again, only place I've worked in the Bay Area um, where like you find information about your industry, about a, a decision you have to make by like calling your friends <laughs> um, or like sending a few emails um, versus like being able to go and find that information online. So yeah, I mean, those are just some of the challenges, the perception, the sort of lack of information, sharing infrastructure, and I think just a lot of ambiguity and uncertainty around the complexity that can be quite intimidating to folks trying to participate. That slow pace, which is also part of the negative stereotypes about government, sometimes it's true and these things take a while to implement, but how, how can the technology or just better ways to do this improve the results for the citizens themselves? Yeah, look, I, I mean, I wish I had a super straightforward answer, but the reality is like there are always going to be these sort of like principles that are in tension with each other. Um, so, you know, we want sort of responsive, fast government. Um, but in some ways, government government's designed to be slow, to, to be like slow. not move fast. Yeah. yeah, not break things is also like a protective mechanism. So I think you have to kind of understand there are these competing incentives, obviously, within government. Like procurement does have an obligation as a function to make sure that um, that the rules and regulations are being followed. I, I think, you know, where we're trying to really focus and, and where a lot of my work in, and um, excitement comes from is around how do you kind of achieve both of those things wherever possible? Like, how do you be really compliant, but also really fast with a focus on that, like, end sort of user of government services experience? Yeah, because if even if they're competing, it's not necessarily one or the other. You can hopefully improve both even though neither can ever be 100%, you can at least improve on both sides. And look, I think, um, you know, some of your listeners will probably empathize, like people in public service are there because they really care about the mission, um, the work 
and the sort of potential for social impact, but it's frustrating to be a public servant, right? It sucks to raise your hand as a public servant and say, hey, I need something that's absolutely critical to my job and to find out that it's going to take, you know, like 18, 24 months to navigate. <laughs> you know, you could have a few children by then. It'd be like life could have moved far ahead. Um, and that's especially the case in areas like technology, where just like the sector, the, the solutions that are available on the market move so quickly. And there's this, always this perception that government is kind of getting the leftovers, you know, or, or like a decade or two. Um, yeah, because they finally behind. said yes to something and there's three versions better, which, again, maybe Silicon Valley's fault, but we won't go there too in depth. Uh, yeah, so that's painful. And And look, I think the other thing is like one of my inspirations was you know, coming from the, the tech world, having a bunch of friends working at venture-backed startups, building just awesome software for the private sector. I, I remember kind of going door to door and talking to those friends when I was working for the, the, the mayor's office in the city and county of San Francisco and asking them, hey, like, why don't you sell the government? Like, please, like, offer your awesome product to government. And they basically just laughed at me. They were like, Because the sales cycle is too, too long, right? That's, that's really it hard. It doesn't for make the... sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's well. The sales cycle is too long. It's too expensive. Your cost of your cost of customer acquisition doesn't really decline dramatically. You know, every single sale that you make, it's it's the same cost um, again and again and again, um, or at least that's the way it's perceived. And and I just remember thinking, like, man, what a tragedy! Like, even if these folks are never going to join public service full time, what a tragedy that they're not working for companies that are building products and providing services for the public sector. Like what a, what a loss for me as a public servant trying to get access to those tools where they don't even want to play. And ultimately too, for like citizens, residents who want the best public services possible that like this $2 trillion a year industry is actually relatively uncompetitive because these barriers to entry are so high. So I just found that really compelling and saw this big opportunity to bring down the costs, take out some of the friction while still you know working around the compliance requirements. All right, so let's shift from the big picture into some specifics. Tell us about your real experience at the Health and Human Services Agency. I think you have a story, as you said earlier, like finding that right match, maybe. So tell us about that. Yeah, look, I mean, um, the the programs that uh, that I got to be part of at the city and county of San Francisco um, as part of the innovation team, you know, there was a sexy kind of innovation wrapper around them, but fundamentally, they were really unsexy, you know, like problems, two sides of the same coin, like. On the one hand, talent, like how do we recruit talent to come work full time at the city and county and in new functions where classifications for those roles don't even exist. So like what is service design? What is data science? Like how do we get those kinds of roles built into how do we help the city and county as an institution get access to this kind of talent um, where uh, historically there just haven't been those roles that exist in government? And then the other set of programs was really around like how do we hack procurement to get better technology products? Um, into the city and county. And it was that work, we, we got to touch a handful of projects. One, I think that you're referencing was the Health and Human Service Agency. And it was taking the, the Health and Human Services Agency over 300 days to get a family who wanted to be a foster you know, family through the application process. And so like that challenge, I think for a lot of people, when you talk about procurement, it can feel really back office, really bureaucratic. But like talking about like a few of the problems that public servants are actually trying to tackle, like, hey, I have a family who's ready to, to be matched with a, a child in need, like how do I move them as quickly as possible through that application process? Because every single day that that child is living in a group home, removed from their community, the outcome for that like human's life, and also for society overall, right? The links of like 
challenges with the foster care system to um, future outcomes for that for that child and for communities are, are also really well documented. So you can kind of understand the urgency there of like, man, 300 days is just unacceptable. Our team was able to basically take this challenge, re sort of reorient what would have been a traditional RFP, which would have had a list of tech specs and been put out, out to um, competition and basically say, look, we want to focus on outcomes. Like, how do we actually focus on what and um, what the outcomes are that we want to achieve. We really want to cut down on this time. And so we're able to uh, rewrite and repurpose the way that solicitation looked and felt in order to um, make it more attractive to different kinds of companies. And one of those companies um, that we were able to recruit is called uh, Binti. They're actually quite large and successful now, but um, this was their very first project. They had an existing product in the uh, private adoption space, and they were curious about solving this particular problem. Um, with their technology capabilities. And so they came in, they partnered with HHS, and they were able to build, co-develop a totally new product that actually had a really dramatic impact on the time, you know, the speed of getting someone through uh, that foster care parent application process, and also like helped with the distribution that we saw more applications come in as a result of the technology that they built. And then also just the experience for public servants too. Like these were caseworkers that were manually updating huge Excel spreadsheet very managing a very paper-based um, and cumbersome process, and all of a sudden, like being able to have their time better utilized because there was a technology product. So this was one thing where, like, man, like we made this match. We saw these awesome outcomes. Like residents got a better, you know, saw better outcomes. This new business got their start, and and now has a product that they can take to market and sell to more public entities that have a similar need. And the experience of being a public servant improved. Like for me, that was such a clear win-win-win. And I was like, oh, how do we? I could stay here in the city and county of San Francisco and I could work on five or six of these projects every single year, a few hundred thousand dollars to spend um, in a city that spends more than $240 million every single year on technology. Or, and, and like this really stuck with me, like how could I be a part of making this whole procurement process more effective? Because like, man, if we could do that, what an awesome thing for government services across like everything that government does, like health and human services, public safety, parks and rec, like you name it, uh, procurement, can, can have this like, you know, huge kind of like shift in the curve of the caliber of public services, the speed of public services. So I was really excited about that. And, and that was the opportunity I left to go pursue. Okay. You just preempted my next question was, which was, if this is so successful and you, it's clear you, you love it and you're good at it, why leave public service at all? But I think the answer is because you could have the wider, greater impact focusing on the, maybe the product side that more local governments can access versus just where you work. Yeah. Look, I mean, you can knock um, big tech all you want, um, but there is something uh, pretty amazing about being able to create like products that reach so many lives, right? If you think about the scale of some of the um, companies that that are built in the Bay Area um, in terms of like how many people they impact, government has that scale. And so I, I think I saw this opportunity to kind of put both of these experiences together where it's like, hey, government actually has this mandate to serve people who can't afford to pay. Like tech is not going to pursue those opportunities because it's really hard to make money for people who don't have money. Like that's the responsibility of government. It's like provide these services um, where there's no super obvious, clear, straightforward business case. And, and what would it look like for our country to be able to combine this sort of like speed and innovation of tech, but focused on this problem and the mandate of um, really empowering public servants and, and making government work better. So yeah, I, I basically became obsessed with this idea. And I was like, man, okay, at the time, I didn't have any kids. I didn't even have like house plants. Um, you know, I had a different risk profile. And I was like, if I could be a part of that, 
like that's worth spending at least a few decades of my life on this planet like chasing after yeah awesome. yeah and i didn't that shouldn't have come across like a defend yourself negative type question just <laughs> just the i mean you just said it I'm, I, need to I know you it. sound like my parents what are you doing you know like i, I don't worry i've fielded a lot of these questions before like why leave this this stable interesting job um to, to do something new and um really it was chasing this 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 vision of a future world in which public services across the entire realm of what government does like work better and there are more businesses uh, actually participating in public problem solving all right so let's move to another example orange county another large section of california um, big stats there too sixth largest county in the u.s 250 plus procurement officers 3.5 billion spent on goods and services which i'm pretty sure is nine zeros that time for a billion <laughs> and Orange County, I think also that uh, terrible but supposedly entertaining TV show in the early 2000s, if anyone remembers. Um, so a lot going on <laughs> a critical there. Part of my, yeah, a critical part of my upbringing. Yeah. Etched into my brain. So as we discussed earlier, like procurement has similar pitfalls regardless of, your, of the scale of the place. So I think this still applies to any of the listeners out there. But what, what was Orange County's procurement problem and how did you help solve it? Yeah, um, the team at Orange County, I think, has been working on a handful of different challenges uh, that the, the function has faced and, and making some really exciting pro progress. I think um, we were able to partner with them and, and their um, chief procurement officer, Maria Agrusa, there on a very specific challenge, which was, you know, the county creates all these contracts. They have more than 20 departments that have uh, similar needs. How do they really kind of streamline this process and help both their internal county users as well as um, entities in the broader region uh, make use of the work that the county has done effectively. So um, I think another aspect and a dimension of this problem is like, you know, unlike the federal government where there's, it's huge, right? Like, you know, the VA drops $4 billion on a, on a tech project. That's a massive project, but there's one kind of customer, right? Um, local government is different because uh, you have all of these different entities trying to solve similar problems. And so there really is this opportunity more for collaboration and sharing. And like governments are uniquely incentivized to collaborate. So Orange County as a, as a, as a large county, I mean, you, you shared, you know, just their scale is looked to within the region um, by other local entities, especially smaller ones. So school districts, you know, cities like Santa Ana, Irvine as a resource. So um, the county will get calls, you know, from these other local entities saying, hey, do you have a contract? that we can use? Or what did you do for XYZ thing? Can we see it? It's been a challenge for Orange County to actually figure out how to facilitate like the sharing of that information. So we were able to come in and work with the county to basically publish all of the contracts that they had done, both so their internal users could really easily find um, all of the work that the county, you know, that their colleagues throughout the county had, had identified, but also so that entities throughout the you know, region in Southern California and even throughout the state and as far away as I think you said you're, you're sitting in Virginia, um, you know, we've seen folks in Virginia and in, and in New York um, and other states across the country actually utilize Orange County contracts as well. Just being able to share that information and do so in a way that didn't cost the county anything. Look, like I think we're just getting started with some of the work there where it's like the first step was how do we just take this work that's been done, publish it, make it easier for internal stakeholders to identify and use make it easier for kind of regional stakeholders to identify and use. Uh, we're starting to see there's like a real economic development story to tell as well. Like by sharing all of this um, information, all of a sudden these businesses that are based in Orange County that are more local, they're diverse, 
um, are starting to win new business in the region and even outside of the region. So we're just starting to, I think, like really be able to tell that story. Um, but it's really exciting because, again, I think when we started talking about this in the beginning, I think all, all too often like procurement is just kind of seen as like a necessary evil, right? It's like, hey, we're going to get through this compliance, you know, wade through these compliance requirements. But in this case, you know, the the leadership is really thinking strategically about like, hey, how do we think about being really compelling, being really attractive for the businesses that 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 think about working with us, right? Like, how do we help award a contract and all of a sudden, because we've awarded that contract, make it easier for vendors that that have won to take that contract and grow their business without having to go through a competitive process every single time. So the, the value prop for a vendor now that's been awarded an Orange County contract is also like, don't just serve the county, which by the way, like you said, spends over $3 billion every single year. So that's a big contract. But actually like the county is helping its vendors change the cost of customer acquisition in the gov like ecosystem, the gov market, because they're awarding contracts that can be shared with other entities. So um, you know, Irvine can just purchase directly from the same vendor at the same terms that the county has awarded, um, which is huge. If you're a small business, being able to like pick up additional business without going through a new competitive bidding process is incredibly meaningful. So again, early early days still, um, but they're moving quickly, and it's been really fun um, at Pavilion to to partner with them and bringing their contracts online and starting to um, increase kind of education and awareness both on the vendor side of the value of those contracts and how vendors can use them to grow in the market. Um, and also on the, the the sort of more regional side of, hey, there are these contracts, how would you all share better with each other? You said share better. So collaboration kind of is my big takeaway from everything you just said. And it, it can be across different local governments, but even within the same one, different departments hopefully can consolidate a little bit and not go through the same headache. I guess there's still a headache on the, the first time for someone, but Others can at least jump on and say, all right, they started here. This is approved. This got cleared. This got whatever. Yeah. I can do it next because we need either the exact same thing or something similar. Yeah. So this is like one of the really best kept, hopefully not for long, but best kept kind of secrets in um, the public procurement space is like governments, you know, are incentivized to collaborate. And so you face as a public servant this challenge of like, hey, I need to buy. I have to meet these compliance requirements. I have this option to either put a new contract in place through that four to 24 plus month process that everyone hates. Um, and that's really expensive for vendors and for and for uh, internal stakeholders within you know, the, the agency. Or if there's a contract that already exists, I can actually use that contract to buy whatever I need now. So if it checks my compliance requirements, I don't need to go through the work of creating that contract from scratch. I can actually just hop on, I can piggyback on that existing contract. And that's so meaningful, both in terms of like, you know, you're talking about reducing the time to procure from months or years to like days or even same day. How often do you get to see same day transactions that are like over the purchasing threshold happen in government? Like more and more because of what we're building, but like that's that's very rare historically. And then, you know, on the vendor side, it's just incredibly valuable. I, I think of this a lot like the common application, right? Like if you think about higher ed, the biggest thing that that universities did was just bring down costs for those who wanted to apply by standardizing the process. So, um, you know, the biggest impact in terms of minority, um, first gen women enrollments in the higher ed industry was actually just like lowering the barriers, lowering the, lowering the costs um, of doing, of, of participation. And I think about that a lot on the vendor side where like across the country, and I'm sure some of your listeners are, are tasked with thinking about these problems, right? Like we want to enable the businesses that we have in our community to grow, to get more business. Um, we especially want to focus on minority owned or local 
or other diverse businesses and, and using government funds to support those businesses. And instead of just layering on additional programs or requirements for those businesses, what does it look like to dramatically change the cost of doing business with government, dramatically reduce that cost for everyone? Well, the people who will benefit the most are those smaller businesses where the barriers to entry historically have just been so high that even if you win that first contract, the ability to grow and scale um, is just too overwhelming. Okay, so you just said barriers to entry, and this is where I can get myself in trouble not knowing enough about a topic to ask the right question. But <laughs> hypothetically, yeah, if this system makes it easier to do repeat business or just not necessarily double up, but just continue with a vendor that's in the system, approved, got the stamp of approval, the whole thing. Yep, yep. Isn't a potential downside that businesses that don't even exist yet today, but they might in two, three, five years, then see that group that kind of got in when the getting was good, they maybe feel like they missed the boat. And now it's harder for them to get in even the first time because whether I'm Orange County or elsewhere, I'm just going right back to the people I already have approval of. Why I'm not even going to open it up. And I, I guess there are regulations and some legal stuff that hopefully prevents that. But Explain so I love this question. Okay. Yeah, no, I love this question because like, look, we never want like not knowing that something exists to be a barrier to actually thinking about using it. And our big picture is like, how do we help lower, as I said before, the cost of buying and selling on both sides so that we have more competition ultimately. So this is like a really core part of our mission is like not constraining who can play and who can participate, but actually kind of busting open who, who can play. So I love that you asked this question. And in fact, like, I, um, whenever we interview candidates or I talk to people, if they don't ask this question, like I will proactively prompt it. Sometimes people can be a little intimidated. They're like, hmm, what you're doing looks like it might actually limit competition. Like, tell me more about that. So I love this question. So a couple of things. One is um, to date this method of using these shareable contracts. This already exists. So this is already happening. Um, there's $200 billion, we think, of transactions of that $2 trillion number that flow through these shareable contracts today. But the businesses that are getting business through these kind of like shareable contracts are oftentimes more the like incumbents, the experienced folks, because they know that they have this contract. They know, they know how, how to, to write the RFP, it. right? Well, well, that, but they also understand like, hey, I've won a contract that I can actually use to sell. So like their yeah. sales teams are going out and they're saying, hey, do you want to buy it now? Like we have this contract. And what we're seeing as we start to unlock, especially more local data, so like from Orange County, for instance, is there are so many businesses that offer new categories of products and services and are different kinds of businesses, right? The more small businesses, the more local and diverse businesses that have already been awarded these contracts and like just don't know it. So the number of times that we reach out um, to a business and we're like, hey, like this new government entity wants to buy from you. And they're like, what are you talking about? Like, we don't want to apply for a bid. And you're like, no, like you can do this Because they think now. they can't like, handle that it. That is mind blowing. Yeah. Well, they just don't even know that they can sell that way. Like no one's literally just like sat them down and been like, we just awarded you a contract that you should use to sell to other public entities. Like this is a huge asset for you. Please go use it. So this is like one of the things is like just by adding data um, that is already out there, um, we think we're like starting to level the playing field because we're just seeing that we're essentially like onboarding all this latent supply, like all these suppliers that have been qualified to sell this way, but have not had the distribution um, access that the sort of larger companies who are more incumbent have. The second piece is, as I said before, lowering that cost of participation, where today, um, as I said, like when I was in the city and county of San Francisco, like not that many businesses even want to sell to government. Like we talk to um, government, you know, users all the time who struggle to get um, businesses, especially if you're in a smaller, more rural area, like 
struggle to get responses, basically. Like, you know, if you get one, two bids on your projects, like how competitive is that? <laughs> like, it's not as competitive as it probably should be. So we think that if we can show that like the cost of customer acquisition changes for a business, if you can win this first contract, like you said, you have to go through that painful process the first time. But if all of a sudden after going through that painful process the first time, you don't have to do it again, or like you could use that thing to set, make more sales without having to go through every single time, that's a really dramatic change in the overall costs of what it looks like to sell into government. And then the third thing, and this was like definitely from my experience living and working in, in San Francisco, is today it's so hard to like do quote unquote innovative work, right? Like the default option is to just keep working with because it's so expensive to go out to bid because like there aren't that many other great options. Like the default option today is to just keep awarding a contract, keep working with the contract with a vendor that you're already with. And there isn't good feedback in the ecosystem around where there are gaps or needs. And when I say gaps or needs, I mean like, hey, a whole new category where there's demand, like government public servants need this thing, but no one actually has created it. So like the foster care parent application system, like there are counties across the country that now use that, but like no one had created something like that before. You can also innovate within a well-established category that isn't being well-served. So like, how do you kind of spot the gaps and the opportunities there? So our hope is over time, by understanding and collecting all this information about what contracts are being utilized and where there's demand, where there's government users that are searching for things, that we can feed that information back to public servants and actually help procurement teams who have very limited resources make more data-enabled um, decisions around, cool, like, do I use my limited time to run a new contracting process for road salt? Or do I use it for you know this new technology product that doesn't exist yet, where there's actually like demand within our agency and also maybe others. And I think one of the final pieces of that is like, how do you incentivize governments to go first and innovate? The existing model in this ecosystem is that suppliers pay a small share of the value of a contract that they, um, a new contract, a new sale that they've made, they essentially pay a commission back to the agency that's created that contract. So not everyone does this, but there is essentially a revenue sharing mechanism that exists in the industry whereby you know, if San Francisco had included any sort of fees or revenue sharing in that first contract with Binti, for instance, you know, Binti now has more than 50 sales in government. Like That could have been an opportunity to generate revenue back to the city and county and actually say, hey, we did all that work of actually doing the R&D, taking a risk, working with this new vendor, and it paid off big time for the industry, for public servants. And like that was our taxpayer money that we invested in that innovation. How would we recoup those costs? And um, and I think, again, one of the things that we've heard from you know, some folks, especially looking at the macroeconomic situation that we're entering into, folks in kind of city management or other roles are, are like, how can we do more with what we have? And being able to kind of publish all of your entities' contract information, and if desirable, like be able to recoup some of the costs that your team has put in when that information, when that, when that work is, is valuable for other governments across the entire ecosystem, there are some there are some leading entities that are really excited about that opportunity. Okay, so what would your advice be, technology or innovation aside, just for a minute? And it might be hard to answer it without that variable. But what would what would your advice be to whether it's the city county manager, the, whatever the title might be, who's in charge of procurement, or even just department heads who find themselves dealing with it? What's your personal advice on just how to approach it or handle it? with less stress. Yeah, totally. I would say like, um, think of procurement again as like a, a strategic 
ally rather than like an antagonist in your journey. Um, and again, I know that's not always possible. Like this depends too on like the perspective of the team and the people involved, but like the best procurement teams, the, the most often procurement functions are deep experts in the rules and regulations and also ultimately guided by the outcomes, the goals that their departments have and can help you navigate that. So that's the what, but how is it? Is it just a matter of how you approach talking to those experts, whether it's over email or meetings or whatever, where you don't give off the like, oh my gosh, I got to deal with you vibe. Is it just a, <laughs> hey, you're you're a valuable member of this team. Help us solve this better. Is it just an approach? What yeah. what is the it's, secret it's, sauce? It's to partially the approach. Yeah, it's partially the approach. It's also the timing, right? So like, oftentimes one of the sort of negative feedback loops in this relationship is folks public servants that are well-intentioned end up going to procurement teams kind of once they've done all the work and they're and, they've, and it's well-intentioned, right? They're like, hey, let me just do this. I know what I need. I'll go really far in the process. Maybe I've even already started to engage a vendor or like, I know what I want. And they take it to procurement and procurement basically has to like slam this hammer down and say like, no, because like you didn't follow the process. And that's so frustrating also really from both sides. But like procurement people are like, if you only came to me earlier, I actually could have helped you save time and work through this much more efficiently. And on the public servant side, it's like, oh, these procurement people, they suck. Like, this is so <laughs> frustrating. Like, they're sending me back. You know, it's like, do not pass go. Like, you're back to square run trying to, like, work. And, and it can feel very antagonistic. So, yeah, I, I think, um, <laughs> you know, the same way when, when we were trying to do really innovative stuff at the city and county is, like, we had the city attorney, the city attorney's office on, like, speed dial. Like, they were our best friends of, like, they, they know cold sort of what is and is not possible. And they can help you kind of navigate within those constraints really effectively. I think um, not being afraid of the procurement process, embracing procurement, not only as like a necessary evil, which I think a lot of people are like, okay, great, I'll like tolerate it, um, but actually as like an ally uh, and a partner and maybe even like a creative way to address like the needs um, that you have and achieve some other policy goals. I think especially for managers, like, you know, finance officers or other folks that manage procurement, leaders oftentimes, like I said, kind of just think of like, oh, that's a back office function, like not that strategic or important. But um, but some of the um, some of the folks that I've seen be most successful get really creative. It's like, no, this is like this is actually an engine for how we achieve policy. And it's and it's true. Like if you can create that procurement infrastructure, you can get your goals achieved like much faster um, and in sometimes a much more like scalable, productive way than if you sort of try to work around it. OK. And uh, like other topics we've discussed on this podcast and ICMA has covered, I think it's a two way street, right? The procurement expert. Totally. They might not be subscribed to this podcast or an ICMA member, but maybe the manager can forward this conversation and say, hey, this is what I'll do better. <laughs> and don't come back to me like with that hammer necessarily. Let's let's be a little bit more collaborative. And I'm sure there are plenty of people out there already doing that. It's not like no one knows this, but in the yeah. day to day grind yeah. of things, it can be hard to actually do it in the moment. Yeah, no, that's right. And um, and I think just having that conversation, bringing, bringing them in early, treating them like partners, um, they, can, they can be really helpful. Um, and I think procurement is kind of this underutilized um, kind of kit in the manager's toolkit around like, hey, we have these goals, like, you know, enabling local businesses. Like, how do we start to think about all hands on deck? Like, what are we doing across the entire city um, to actually drive those goals? Um, and again, like looking at procurement as like a function that can actually have a huge impact on those policy initiatives and those goals, and ultimately, like the the value of taxpayer dollars for like services received and trust in government, like thinking about it as that critical function, I think is so important. So, last question, kind of outside of procurement, what other areas of local government, gov tech, that space, do you think are ripe for innovation and disruption over the next 
one year, two year, five years? What do you think? Yeah, so many opportunities here. I think um, the citizen experience is a big one for me. Um, I think like anyone who interacts with public services and then also uses like consumer technology, there's just such a huge gap oftentimes between the experience of like, you know, how do I pay a parking ticket? Uh, a like... lot of websites <laughs> even still have that little, you can tell I was paying a ticket somewhat recently and the website said uh -huh. 2007 on it. And I said, yeah, yeah, it feels that way. Yeah. But to their yeah, credit, exactly. sorry to interrupt, to their credit, I, when I finally called like an old person who doesn't want to deal with the internet anymore, I found an amazing person in the customer service who had the, obviously ran into that problem before because she had the navigation yeah. of this website memorized and said, look here, click there, look there, click there. And she got me exactly where I could not find on my own in 15 seconds. It was amazing. So yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I feel like this is one thing where I'm like, man, like the like public servants are so cr creative. Like, I think there is this thing of like, man, like, we'll just work with what we've got. And we'll like, like you said, just, you know, I have this website memorized, so I can help you like, we'll, we'll have all these like adaptive workarounds. Um, and there's this balance of like, yeah, like, I love that creative energy. There's also definitely this part of me having been in that role too that's like <laughs> we need a bigger fix but yeah just like really frustrated right yeah. like this pissed off millennial just like what <laughs> wtf like how come you know i'm doing the most important work um that there is like how come people that are like ordering groceries online like have a better experience than like me trying to help someone get like access to like health benefits like that well that's, that's, money and budget that's is not, usually right? the answer to that but uh, this this online procurement can help maybe balance the skills there. Yeah, I, I think the other area that stands out um, is like around climate tech. And this is one too, where like, I know um, as, as someone looking at kind of the role of procurement, like what government buys has a huge impact in achieving policy, right? So I remember chatting with a friend around just like how much paper, like city of LA, city and county of LA, like used every year, like it's, it's basically like a small country in terms of the resources that are consumed. So, you know, and this is something I think about with procurement as well, where it's like, hey, instead of everyone having to figure out sort of more climate friendly solutions and, and infrastructure. How do we help those um, local governments, those cities that are experimenting, bring that experimentation, bring that innovation to market and get the vendors who are actually doing really awesome work to market. I, I used to work in the health space and there's this concept around translational medicine where like a finding in the lab takes a decade to get to bedside. And I see this also all the time with like innovation where it's like, hey, we desperately need you know, better infrastructure or different kinds of solutions. And like, how come it takes 10 years or more from like when we actually have that thing to like get it to just be distributed and kind of nor like exist across the country. So I think some of the um, climate oriented solutions and interventions in the space are also really exciting to watch. And I hope we can be a part of bringing those to market faster. All right. Well, with pavilion.com is the website. Uh, listeners, you can connect with Marielle on LinkedIn. Just mention you heard her on the ICMA podcast and little notes. So there's some context for her, not just about the pavilion, but just procurement in general to have a kind of expert on standby there. So thanks for your time. Yeah, no, proud public procurement nerds uh, unite. <laughs> and uh, yeah, thanks for the conversation, Joe. This is fun.